Do better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. Knowledge ideas, perspectives, and research insights on topics that matter. Business advice for better decisions and growth. Latest on the world of innovation and ideas. A look inside a global world beyond borders and an open view on social challenges. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.isade.edu. Welcome to Azade Doers, a podcast about entrepreneurs and innovators. Our guests today are Rishabh Loya and Manas Mediratta, co-founders of Bridget. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. So tell us very briefly in 30 seconds, what does your company do? Um, Bridge Media provides impact tech to digital publishers that calls their audience to sustainable action on content that bridges the information gap. It's technology that keeps the news and media industry aligned with their sustainable development goals, but simultaneously helping the digital publishers to improve their business metrics, NGOs to improve their outreach, and people like us to actually take some sort of sustainable action. That's fantastic. And how does people take action? Yeah, so the way our technology works is the tech scans through the content, whether it's text, audio, or video, and searches through the database on what are the actions that are relevant for that particular content. So for example, if there is an article on COP26, it will scan through the database of actions and give actions such as donations, where you can contribute to and aid certain certain causes. It will also search for actions where you can express your concern, where you can send a message to your member of parliament, you can send a message to government bodies. And the third one is join a particular community where you can sign petitions, where you can uh, sign up for certain newsletters. So we have divided those actions into three categories, which, uh, which we've created a database. And the NLP, which is the natural language processing that we have developed in-house, searches through, the, through those databases based on the content that has been created. Perfect. We're going to hear a little bit more about your project in a moment, but now let's, uh, let's, take, a, um, let's take a step back and hear about your story. Uh, so what made you uh, choose to become entrepreneurs? And is this your first company or have you done something prior to this? Sure. sure. I think go, you go first. and I'll go. Yeah. Uh, so we both are entrepreneurs that are driven by tech for good. We like my personal story is that I'm very passionate about building businesses that make the world a little bit of a better place to live in. I built my first company, which was in shared economy, which is essentially um, allowing people to share taxis to, to common destinations together, which I built. So that's my story as a, as a repeat entrepreneur. Yeah, I think as for me, Davide, um, when I say that why or how did my entrepreneurial journey began, I think I'll take a step back and just say that um, maybe I think everybody is an entrepreneur in a way. It's, uh, being an entrepreneur is like a concoction of three important things uh, in my uh, in my opinion, that is situation, uh, passion, and courage, and in that order. And I think for me, um, yes, I've already sold a company. Uh, I built a company here in food tech, so I sold it in 2020. And my decision of starting a company was just an alignment between the three, where my situation, my passion, and the courage to take it forward was um, was perfect when as soon as I graduated from Isade. So that's how I embarked on the, on the entrepreneurial journey. Great. 
end as well, no? very interesting to hear that you're both motivated by, by multiple drivers and are aligned with the mission of the company. So tell us, how was this very company started? What is, uh, what's the story? Yeah, no, I think it started with a simple article. I was reading through, through an article on climate change back in 2020, where everything was chaotic. And driven by the, the need to act and seeing the fact that people were not taking climate change seriously, I essentially went into Google and I searched plant a tree. And it took me more than 30 minutes to figure out this maze of websites. Most of them are actually broken. If you, if you Google now plant a tree, you'll, you'll have the same experience. And it took me 30 minutes to do something as simple as planting a tree. And essentially I, I asked myself, it doesn't need to be this difficult. Why is this journey from actually wanting to do something and, and that empathy to, to create an impact and being able to create an impact is broken. This, this entire journey is, uh, it's made up of hundreds of websites that are not transparent and, and you're lost uh, with, uh, with, with uh, whether they're taking money or, or actually creating impact. So we wanted to reduce the journey. We, we started creating a mobile app, which was um, uh, a mobile app where you can see what is happening in the world and act on it. And over time, and I would love to double click on, on the journey that we've had on why we've transformed the business. But uh, in a nutshell, we transform the business from a B2C to a B2B, where our technology is now used by publishers to add uh, SDG-based actions, as, as Richard explained at the start. Okay, maybe I'm actually very interested into what you just mentioned, no? so your transition from, from B2C to B2B. But before going there, um, a bit more about the, the, the origins of the project. No? So you said you, you had a pain, right? You found that you wanted to act. You couldn't really take action, or you could, but it was complicated. So you decided you now with this real entrepreneurial spirit to say, okay, let's, let's do something about it. Uh, but then you jumped immediately to say, hey, we built a mobile app, right? So that, that's a big jump, especially if you think about the audience, right? Somebody that uh, never built a company before. How do you go from, I find the need to, I have a published uh, mobile app that people can use? Yeah, um, true. I think that's, that's all yours. Yeah. No, so I think one of the key things that I did was look into the market on what is the or what are organizations doing to bridge this gap because this is a real need if you look into the market nine and based on a bunch of research that we have done 90 percent plus people want to take action on on things that that motivate them but only 0.4 percent of the content provides call to action so there is a huge white space and a, and a mismatch in, in the market dynamics itself and when you look into the overall ecosystem as a whole there are publishers and there, there's media that's creating the empathy. And then there are nonprofits that are doing actions that create impact. There is no link. There are some organizations that have done that sparsely. So back in 2016, there was an organization that was initially called Speakable that changed their name to Action Button and a couple of other initiatives that have come across. But the key thing is that they, their timing was wrong. Uh, people were not as passionate about impact and essentially the tech was not as uh, as good the company that i was telling you about speakable was done by the daughter of bono the 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 musician and like the tech was was quite broken so no one has actually made an effort to create something like this which is driven by tech and the new technologies that can enable it um, and there was clearly clearly a market 
there where we saw the amount of or the market size of this was more than 4 billion it, especially in the initial initial phase that we are looking at the amount of players are quite sparse and no one has been able to to link this gap between media and and nonprofits so there is a huge opportunity or there like when when i did the research i realized that there is a huge opportunity to to look into and um, that's what we did and link to this no so oftentimes when hearing about a sustainability related projects there is a core uh, issue or anyway attention point related to their financial sustainability so is uh, your uh, project a non-profit is it for profit and if it is uh, how does it sustain itself so it's a for profit uh, project to be to be completely honest and uh, it was a conception that if you do something sustainable you are essentially only non-profit uh, this was 10 years ago where the amount of money being invested in impact related startups were was close to 4 billion and going 10 years forward 2022 the amount of money that's invested in impact based startups has jumped from 4 billion to 715 billion so there is a huge shift in the market where people realize that people want to do good and they need to enable this ecosystem of tech for, for good startups uh answering your question directly we have created a, a mechanism where publishers given the fact that they are boosting their engagement and retention they pay us as a saas fee to use this software to embed it into their different articles which they pay per uh, based on the interaction that they are able to generate which rish if you want to elaborate on yeah no, i mean i think uh, i think that's that's good enough because one one of the things that perhaps is uh, worth mentioning here as well is that yes like manas said 10 years ago this was not considered a possibility where you can um you know you can actually create an impact based tech and be for profit but if you look at the market right now i mean the amount of marketing budget that has been used by ngos to get their programs out in the public through uh, social media facebooks and instagrams and what not is a considerable amount so that means they want people to interact with their content so there is a possibility of technology which can help organizations around the world to focus on the 17 sdgs that the world has given us a directive for right all we are doing is just making sure that there is a framework that the world has provided us with and bring it down to tech which everybody understands right and that's i think that's the that's the essential yeah so very quick thing like on the flip side if you think about publishers are spending annually 40 billion dollars to increase their engagement and retention and still they don't have meaningful engagement just a quick data point uh, for every 1000 people or let's use a round number for every 10000 number 10000 people that publishers reach they're able to retain only 14 people that's 0.14% of effectiveness in terms of retention all the retention and loyalties staying with the social media so publishers are struggling in in terms of getting that meaningful engagement and retention and with the expiry of the the third party cookies they are further scared on on how their business is is going to you know look in the future so we creating a tool which will essentially help them differentiate and engage and retain their customers for which uh, we've created the saas model and is this as well the reason why you mentioned you shifted from this original b2c vision to now a more b2b model 
I think there were a couple of reasons. Yeah. Uh, and Rish, please feel free to sure. interject. Uh, what we realized when we were building the B2C business is a cash-intensive business, right? You need to spend a lot of money to acquire customers. While the first sort of KPIs that we were getting were extremely good, we were able to acquire customers at less than 30 cents uh, and install. But what we realized is for us to make this vision big, we need support from two stakeholders. One was publishers and the other were investors. And what we realized after going through the Techstars program, which I don't think I mentioned, we went through the Techstars acceleration uh, from the London cohort uh, from September to end of the year last year. And on based on a lot of different conversations that we had with investors and publishers, we realized that A, it would be much more meaningful for our vision to be done in a B2B sense because our technology can be used by publishers that already have millions of people reading and consuming their content. And B, it is much more friendlier for the publisher and investor to be part of, of the project. Yeah, true. And I think um, as an additional point there, one of the reasons why we created Nittle in the first place was to make information actionable. The entire application was based on how people can interact with the content that they're reading. We had debates, we had 360s, we had engagement points established within the, uh, the app itself, pushing people to take some sort of an action, whether that was through one way or the other. Now, as a value system itself, we wanted to stay away from the advertisement. We wanted to make it as socially conscious as possible. So having those value systems and being integral to those values, the only way we could make this idea of actionable information was to pluck out this idea and generate a B2B model, B2B2C model called Bridged Media, where we don't have to show advertisements, but we can help the advertisement industry, which is helping everybody else in the world, such as the digital publishers. Right. So that is how I think the shift between Nittle to Bridged happened over the course of, I think, about three, three and a half months yeah. last year. And um, Rish, so now you, you, you mentioned you're more working on the, on the commercial side. So what's the reaction of publishers? Are they happy? Is it easy uh, to, to get them on board? Nine out of 10 have agreed to do a pilot. Right now we have 13 pilots. Um, the one that it disagreed was because I think it was not the right fit. We were looking for two hyper-local uh, publishers, but it is an easy sell. However, it is a very, at the same side, it is a very interesting conversation as well, because this is something that has not been thought about in the market. People have created platforms and different sorts of uh, funding tech that happens where any sort of e-commerce or financial transaction actually happens. However, there isn't a touch point that exists on the other millions and trillions megabyte of data that is being created by publishers for us to consume. There isn't a touch point to that. There is Facebook where you can hit a like and there's a share button, but that's about it. And I think we have moved away from that age of connectivity where we share amongst everybody to actually take some sort of an action. And the UN very interestingly says it, the decade of action. So when I put this as, uh, as a thing across where publishers are looking forward to either differentiating their content or increasing their engagement within their website or improving their own ad revenue, it becomes an easy sell. Yes. Yeah. I think we have very strong signs of product market fit. Uh, we, like one of the quotes that I love telling uh, people is, <laughs> 
the fact that one of the publishers said that this is the natural evolution of content, uh, where, as Rishabh said, no, just liking and sharing is, is good. And we went through that decade of connectivity, but now it's a decade of action where the content needs to tell you how you can make an impact. And linked to that, you offer me the perfect uh, segue here. Um, I considering that now we're opening this decade of action. What's uh, the role, if you see any uh, role, of web free and blockchain technologies into this going into the future? Yeah, no, I think we've discussed this internally quite a lot on how do we integrate it into our business as well, and whether we should integrate it into our business or not. I think blockchain as a concept is novel in terms of transparency, and for us, it's. Like the business that we are in is it's a very important term in terms of showing people the work or the the donation or or the action that they have taken has resulted in 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 some sort of tangible impact. So I think blockchain is very impact uh, is very impactful in 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 the tech for good space, and the way we think is more towards the transparency side and less towards tokenizing and creating a video game out of out of it, which is also something that is happening. Uh, but we definitely see a lot of transparency and visibility use cases that will be embedded through blockchain. Perfect. And um, so linked to this as well, no? Kind of, and, and we, we, we come towards uh, a wrap-up of this of this first part of the interview. How do you see the, from your privilege point of view, how do you see the future of tech for good in the next, let's say, five years? I think I think it's improving. I think everywhere around as well, right now is the best time because, again, when I said situation, passion, and courage, I think 2020 has changed a lot of things for us in all those three aspects. And very interestingly, impact has become the center point for anything, for any business, for any decision, whether that's an internal decision or an external decision. Right? Even when I purchase a bottle, a plastic bottle now, just to be able to understand whether this plastic bottle is recyclable or not is a decision that I'm making. So it's not just about businesses anymore. It's about personal decisions. Yeah. And if you think about it, even with all the research and data points to the same thing that Rishabh is saying, no? 86% of people across the world, and this is a study that's been done with more than 100,000 participants, has said that they would consider moving to a company that's more sustainable. So it has been embedded into our choices and the way we look at or evaluate any decision that we are making. And it's reflected everywhere. The customer wants it. The investors want it because it's a huge opportunity. And it's a perfect time to be a tech or an entrepreneur that's driven by purpose. so I think the next five years are going to be super exciting because there's a lot of money and a lot of investment being done into these spaces. So you will see a lot of startups like us coming forward and trying to make the world a better place. Quick uh, as well, now add on on this one. You mentioned investors love it, customers love it. What about employees? Do you find that your your angle being clearly placed, uh, you know, in, a, in, a, in a, having a clear position towards sustainability, does it help you recruit new people? Very much, I think, because I think that is one of the core values. Our entire thing is based around impact, where the the core idea is to, when you do something, make sure that, you understand what impact or what consequence it's going to have as a decision. Just to be able to motivate somebody that this is a company which is not just trying to make a million bucks, right? a million amount of dollars or whatnot. The idea is to create some amount of change in the world, even if it's just a blip. 
right? That blip will change and ripple through whatever we want to create later. And that itself, when you share it with somebody, we have organically received, whether that's from content side, marketing side, tech side, or even business development, we have received applications and we've had to shuffle through them to be able to find the right fit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we've grown to a team of 15 now, uh, which, is, which has been awesome in terms of the journey of building the company. Uh, but one of the key things that sort of binds all of us together is a vision of what we are trying to do. We are not building something that uh, is, you know, going to be problematic in the future. We're not building the next Facebook. Uh, again, that's a different conversation altogether. But we are united with uh, with that vision of building something that will create a create a positive impact. That's amazing. And this brings us to uh, to the second part of the interview, right? Uh, I'd be happy to to talk here, uh, you know, forever about this topic. This is very passionate. Uh, I'm very passionate about all of this, but um, I want to as well give the listeners a bit uh, of a better understanding about your profiles and, and who you are, right? So we move to a bit more rapid fire questions. I'm going to ask you a few questions, uh, you know, answer uh, relatively quickly to each one. Uh, and, you know, if uh, they're more personal, both of you can answer else you can try to find an agreement and see how that goes. Sure. Perfect. Perfect. So okay. I think uh, Manas is going to go answer first and then I'm going to answer and you can ask, keep asking the questions rapid fire. Yes. That's all yeah. we're gonna do. Perfect. So first question is really personal and this is something that I really love to ask to all entrepreneurs, which is uh, which book are you currently reading? So a mix of books. Uh, the one that I am reading currently is called Atomic Habits, which is, uh, which is awesome. Uh, I know Rush is reading Cultural Map, which is, uh, which is also pretty, pretty interesting. But I think you see from the profile of the books, it's well, it's more about, you know, going beyond what, uh, what you know, and, and essentially improving yourselves as, as entrepreneurs. Yeah, perfect. And quick follow up. Uh, do you have enough time? Or how do you find the time? This is a question I, I oftentimes uh, receive now from very early stage entrepreneurs is like, how do I find the time to keep to keep reading to keep, you know, uh, to keep myself uh, up to date on different things? have a schedule yeah no i think it's, it's a schedule there's nothing else to it honestly because all we are spending so much of time behind the screen almost all day every day but that's a smaller screen to a bigger screen to even a bigger screen right so if you don't have a schedule where you do not change that habit you will not find the time to do anything whether it's reading a book or going to sleep on time or finding time for exercise. Yeah. Right. So schedule is for me. Yeah, no, schedule for sure. I think one of the things that I've learned the hard way is having hard cutoffs. So not working on Saturday, Sunday and forcing yourself to get involved in things that you would do besides work is like very, very important as an early stage founder, because it's so easy to get enveloped in all the fires that are around you. Um, but it's very important to jump out of the fire and, and look at the world from a, from a bird eye as well. Yes. No, so, so your time box as well, kind of your, uh, your agenda, you say, Hey, we allocate, you know, a certain amount of time to each thing. And then when time is over, you move forward to something else, even though kind of the passion sometimes drags you to, to continue, you know? Absolutely. Totally. It's, it's a very important not to, to preserve. And I insist on this a bit because this is something that, that is coming up in many interviews, uh, not to, to, to really focus on mental health from the beginning for all, uh, especially the founders team, because sometimes else you, you will get consumed uh, just by really wanting to push yet another feature, get something more to the market, and then uh, one ends up kind of forgetting about oneself. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that was something that is worth mentioning here. Like you absolutely said, one thing is the okay to be vulnerable. So one thing that me and Manas share uh, is the fact that 
if we are down, if we feel that we are not a hundred percent, then we communicate that. Yeah. Right. And that is very important. You're not a superhero. You're not supposed to be. You're a human being. And that idea is gone where we are trying to ask human beings to multitask. That's supposed to be a task for machines. And we are not those. So it's absolutely fine to accept the fact that I'm not feeling 100%. Would you be able to do that? And to your team as well. And that is the internal culture that we are trying to build. And hopefully that's to stay. Yeah, no, and it doesn't like stack against the hustle culture. No, we still hustle. We get things done, uh, but draw your boundaries. Make sure you know what is needed for you to work efficiently and uh, have the right people around you. Great. So talking about um, companies, what is a startup? You think it's very interesting right now, of course, that's not Bridget Media. Uh, I think for me, um, it is Going, which is a fintech company. Uh, why is it close to my heart as well is because I catered to these guys when, uh, <laughs> when they were actually pitching the idea at Ironhack. So it started from there and I've followed their journey till now where they've become one of the big fintech companies here in Europe. So that's for me. Yeah, and, and for me, I think there's a bunch of companies. Some, some of them were part of our Techstars cohort. Uh, I think I love what uh, Kindora is doing, for example. I think they are trying to create a culture where we first look at used products to satisfy our needs, then, uh, then always going to, to Amazon and, and finding the newest and the shiniest object. So Kindora would be, would be my choice. Perfect. And on a similar topic, but a little bit broader, what do you think it's a very interesting? So we discussed about, you know, um, tech for good and in general, overall, a few few different um, topics and trends during the prior conversation. But if somebody wanted to start a company right now, what do you think are interesting trends that uh, one should uh, focus on? Yeah, so I think there are, uh, this the, the answer to this question has a lot of questions in my mind. <laughs> uh, essentially, it uh, totally depends on where you are. Uh, in, in terms of the city and, and the country, because, for example, in Spain, SaaS and developing B2B is very, very important uh, or very interesting because it all depends on the investors that uh, that you will see around, you know. But in general, if you talk about global trends, definitely blockchain is something that is attracting a lot of attention and a lot of investment, which is a, which is a great thing to look at. Uh, tech for good for me is uh, is something that if you are passionate about it you should definitely definitely think about exploring it and that essentially boils down to my real answer no it uh, it is a combination of what you really really are passionate about plus something that you see is uh, is attracting investment because if you just follow the market indicators and not do something that you're not passionate about the chances are you will leave it midway because you will be facing 3 million obstacles before making it a successful company. Yeah, which is, which is not a bad thing, honestly. I think uh, the point here is that if, because there, is, there are a few journeys to whatever you want to create, right? I completely agree with Manas that there are those two aspects of creating any idea, whether it is with, with passion comes the, the trend as well. But then the obstacles, if you have uh, either the cash or the courage to go over those obstacles by yourself, then just passion will get you through as well. But the mix, the best mix is perhaps what Manus mentioned, you know? So, yeah. Absolutely. Not just picking a trend, but without really following and being aligned in terms of passion, sometimes can, can really not, not bring to, uh, to a successful uh, project. Oh, thank <laughs> <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> no, I think 
for budding entrepreneurs, there's a bunch of resources that you can look into. Sign up to newsletters, sign up to the the different podcasts. Like if you are not signed up exactly. to SRA doers, then definitely do that as well. Uh, but make sure you're out there. Make sure you're presenting yourself as a as a budding entrepreneur and you will get ideas, you'll get the right network to, to be part of the system. Is there any advice you oftentimes give but do not follow yourself? Yes. I think the biggest advice that I give uh, and don't follow is talk to as many people as you can. I think it's, uh, it's also a function of where your startup is at. I think we are more towards getting to the product market fit and, and making sure that we have a scaling plan as well. Uh, but that sort of cuts into my time of exploring and just having random conversations. So I definitely think this, this is something that I should be doing more. Uh, and any, anyone who is looking to build an early stage company should talk to as many people as possible and not worry about their idea being stolen because mm. that's just nonsense. Um, your idea is 0.1% of what will make the success happen probably smaller <laughs> yeah but absolutely and i think from from my end uh Davide, i uh tend to not give advice but it's, it's it's a thing that i have because i have a fear of not following it myself and uh it's the same thing because i live by the idea that if i can't walk the walk then i better not talk the talk right um but i have been something that i've been very cautious and aware about is to give time to the little things and it could be anywhere, right? The little things is getting up and making a bed or making yourself a proper sandwich to finishing a presentation with the little tiniest details. Those are the little things So give yourself the time and have the patience to do it. That's very positive, um, positive and inspiring comment. Last question and the toughest one. What has been your biggest mistake, uh, professionally speaking? I think for me, um, my, I don't really differentiate professional and personal, honestly. Uh, because I get motivated by something that I love to do and that will trickle down in personal life and it trickles down in professional. So for me, I think uh, the biggest mistake I've ever done is keeping an ego with my loved ones, with my loved, uh, with my family members, because I've had chances where they did not understand me and I decided not to speak to them. And I could have learned or I could have uh, accelerated my journey if I did speak to them earlier. But um, you know, it happened later. But yes, that is the biggest mistake, perhaps. Yeah, I don't think my answer is going to be as profound. Uh, but the biggest mistake that I have done is in hiring. I think one of the key things to understand, especially in early stage company, is to hire more for attitude than for skill. Of course, you need to have certain amount of skill, otherwise you'll be lost in, in the job. Uh, but that balance of, of getting someone who has the basic skills but has the right attitude to improve is, uh, is the right way to go. And I have made, uh, made many hiring mistakes in, in, in not understanding that, that balance first. Fantastic. No? So we also have like here a, a balance in between a more kind of personal, profound answer, a more practical, uh, actionable um, one. That's exactly why we balance each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect as well. No? You, you have complementary skills and personalities that, that that's super important. Exactly. Totally. Manas, Rish, it's been a great pleasure uh, talking to, uh, to both of you. We could go on uh, for a long time, but uh, now we have to, to come to a close. So thank you for your inspiring comments, for as well being so uh, flexible in, in moving between the professional, the personal, and, and giving uh, inspiration and advice on many different topics. 
Um, as well, thanks for helping uh, making the world a more sustainable place uh, bit by bit and all the best moving forward. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ciao. If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. Do better.